In this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast, Mr. Mavs slash Magic Draft, Richard Stamen drops off his latest big board. I'm curious to see what surprises we have in store. Stay tuned. Big, big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. And this episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NBA. I'm your host, Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies, Richard Stamen, Mr. Mavs Draft who is uh, uh, Mavs and Magic Draft, probably one of the, the biggest names in draft Twitter. First of all, we got to talk about the Mavs. What are your thoughts on the Kyrie trade? Yeah, just uh, purely talking on court. I think, uh, you know, the 2029 pick, I'll start with the draft element because uh, the brand, but I think uh, 2029 pick, especially right now, is completely harmless. You think about it, Luca's contract, I think it expires 2026. So that 2027 one's valuable three years after the contract expires. Say he does walk. It's the worst case scenario. You have a chance to solidify a rebuild. It's the same thing. And just looking at timelines, Luca was drafted in 2018, the 2021 pick the Mavs had not that valuable. So, uh, and they gave that to the Knicks. So for me, I think it's a great value. Who knows if he stays, that's really going to be what determines how good of a value that actually was. Why is there so much chatter about him leaving? I tweeted this. Like, all right, why don't why do we hear chatter about Luca possibly leaving? He's what, 23? We haven't heard anything about Embiid leaving. Luca has already surpassed Embiid in playoff success. Like, do you think it's smoke? I personally think it's just smoke, but I'm just like you hear about it all the time now. I mean, I think this is two major trades the Mavs have made to surround Luca, right? And you know, the Porzingis one, it was a controversial one. It was his guy, he wanted him. Same with Kyrie. I mean, not necessarily the number one choice, but like he signed off on it. I think they're doing a lot to surround him. I think it's personally smoke. Something someone brought up something to me, which is like, how many international guys have actually just darted in free agency? It doesn't really happen. Like the closest is probably Porzingis. Porzingis doing yeah. what he did, which is kind of ironic. But I just Luca wants to win. I think it all depends on how well they surround him. If they do a terrible job like they did with Dirk for a lot of his years, yeah, he might leave, but Right now, there's no indication. I mean, like you said, Luca's already been to the conference finals. And let's be real, right now, it's unrealistic to say he could do it again. Like, I don't think so. I mean, I think there's a like chance. This year. I mean, I think there's a chance. But I also feel like, I mean, it, it's just weird. Like, Jokic doesn't really talk. doesn't, like, not active. Not as, I mean, his accolades, NBA-wise, are better than Luca's, But not as talked about. And he's obviously older. He's had the same playoff success as Luca as far as deep runs in the playoffs. It's just weird, man, that this is first year out of his rookie deal. And are people like expecting like if he doesn't win a championship by 25, then it's time to bolt? I don't know, man. It's just it seems like it's clickbaitish to me, but it's catching steam that everything is about, well, they gotta make this move or or he's gonna leave. And I and I don't know Luca. I'm not gonna say I do, but he seems like the type of guy that 
if they said, hey, did you sign off on Raphael being, you know, your your 15th man? He'd be like, I mean, I don't know who he is, but he seems like, you know, that he doesn't seem like somebody that's trying to really call the shots, right? And I just don't think that's like in his in his nature that he's trying to, you know, have power over the franchise. So I'm not surprised that he signed off on it, right? So and then I think if it was a situation where he was trying to like put his foot down and like impose his power and will, we would have had Gordon Drakic like a while ago. So um anyway. So yeah, so do you like the trade as far as like the on court fit? Yeah. I mean, the West is so wide open at the moment. I mean, the next 40 to 72 hours could change a lot. But at the moment, I mean, the Mavs have the highest scoring duo in the league. So in the West, anything can happen. I, I really don't think there's any one team that's above and beyond. So it's anyone, anyone's game. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'm kind of ready for the trade deadline to get over because every time my phone buzzes, I'm like, <laughs> I'm waiting for something that we <laughs> didn't know about to come out the blue. I mean, we got that Friday with the Kyrie news that totally shocked me that he was asking for a trade and then it happened so fast i'm looking to see like what happens with toronto and you know got the wolves alert today but it was kessler edwards I'm like okay dang. but anyway <laughs> let's talk about your big board which you know it, it what happens thursday can possibly it, it get it will give us a little bit of a clearer picture of who's selling and, and who is basically saying hey <laughs> we're going all in for the draft um, so obviously you got Wimbayama number one. Yep. And who's number two? I followed suit here. Scoot Henderson this is like the best one, two punch I've ever, I, I think I've ever scouted. I mean, I underestimated 2019. So Rose and Beasley. One. I mean, I was obviously what eight, 2008. Yeah. I think pre-draft that was loaded. Yeah, roll. I mean, that was a great draft. I mean, Westbrook, Kevin Love. Um, I, I would say Rose and Beasley. Uh, obviously Durant and Odin. Uh, but I was all in on Durant, not Odin. I was upset that my Blazers um went with the old school thought there that you take a, a big over a dynamic wing. Um, I mean, but if you think about it, a lot of people thought the Wiggins, uh, who was number yeah. two in Wiggins draft? Was it Wiggins, Jabari Parker. Wiggins Jabari? Then there was Cat Okafor. That that draft, I thought those two were going to be really good. Even 2018. I mean, people forget Pagley had a lot of hype pre-draft. Like, even though he didn't pan out, people completely erased that part of history. You know, it's funny. Yeah. Nobody comes out and says, oh, I had Bagley over. <laughs> people thought he was going number one. Now it just seems like that portion of the draft world has completely vanished right there's very few people that are openly admitting that they were as high on Bagley and I think like Bagley's like summer mixtapes playing like the Drew League against pros where he was handling the ball <laughs> swayed people that he was you know that I mean that he was more talented than what he was able to show at Duke but all right where the draft kind of starts at and it's it's been the case for about a year now who do you have at number three on your big board yeah so from here i think it's hard to take somebody other than this guy because i i think there's been i know i think we have different number threes but i took amen thompson i think 
six, seven point guard. His pick and roll game is just so clean offensively. I think his defense is going to be good. Just given his tools alone, the tools are so good to gamble on that the freak athleticism, the point guard skills, pick and roll defense, even if he can't shoot, like if he's a 31% shooter from three, you win. Like that's a win. I mean, I think even John Morant was, I don't know what his numbers are now, but there was one or his first or second year, maybe both he was shooting under 33% and like, you would not complain about that at that point. Like it's a bonus after a certain point, not a, not a necessity. Any concerns about overtime? Cause I have a quote from a scout that just kind of blew my mind and I never even considered it. It makes sense. Any concerns about, I mean, it's a huge jump. He's basically coming from high school to the league. And even though it's kind of like high school, He's like an older high school player. So any concerns about like the huge jump? So for him, no, actually, I, I really think he'll translate just fine because again, that pick and roll game and the vision and everything, it's just so advanced to that. I think it just scales up, but for his brother, Osar, who I actually have much lower, I have him, I have him 13. Um, and I, I will say I got some feedback uh, from some important people that, that were like, Hey, you got to move him up. But for me, it's, the defense for that is, I mean, they're 20 years old. They're playing high school competition. And the difference between the two is Osar is not, he, I don't think he has the point guard skills. Like he think he has ball skills, but I don't think he has point guard skills. And that really scares me in how he translates up. I have heard, you know, people say like he's a generational defender. I've had people tell me that. I think the defense will be great, but you've raised concerns about this. The non-dunking touch is just not there right now, I don't think. And you know, the numbers may not be perfect, but it's it's a disappointing number. If I'm not mistaken, it's still below 50%. So for me, that's really alarming where the OTE stuff, I'm hoping to check it out next month. I'll be in Atlanta. We'll see. But for Osar, I mean, I have a lot more concerns with him than Amen, just because that point guard gap, it, the skills gap at point guard is just big. I don't think it's that big. I think he can play. And I remember talking to a scout from a team that was supposed to have lottery picks. And his question was, is it, um, is it, is the difference between the two based off of opportunity? Because he felt like Asor is naturally going to defer to his brother, but he thinks that he has a very similar skill set. And if he didn't, ha if he was, you know, somebody gave him the keys and said, "Hey, you're our primary," then he thinks that he can make the adjustment. But you know, it's such a wide range of opinions on you know the twins whether it's their age and even like ote i think this is a big big their, their success is going to be huge for overtime but it was a scout that made a comment that it made a lot of sense to me it's like the biggest concern about overtime is you don't have an opportunity to see how they play under real pressure it's like there's no big 12 championship there's no like on the road at Kansas or there's no Duke, North Carolina. And he's like, how do you know how they respond in big games and pressure environments? And he's like, that's, that's big. That's something that there's no other, unless you're taking a guy right out of high school, but there's no other situation where you're evaluating guy. You have no idea how they perform and like an intense playoff atmosphere. He was even saying like, even in the EYBL, at the peach jam, there's pressure there. You're playing against, you know, guys, your age, there's other guys that are, you know, the top prospects in their class. 
and and it just makes it makes total sense for that to be something that somebody can be concerned about no you shouldn't like not draft him because of that but it, it does raise some concerns all right when we return we only got to three in the first segment so when we return We'll get to picks four, five, six, seven. We'll we'll see where the time takes us. But if you are a company and you're looking to find the right match and the right people to hire, you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs because you know that your success in 2023 and 2024 and so on, it all depends on the team members that you surround yourself with. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs because with LinkedIn Jobs, You can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have skills, values, and the experiences to help you achieve your goals. And LinkedIn Jobs helps you attract qualified candidates to your open jobs with their targeting tools. They go beyond the resume data by using insights from your job posts, the company, and their 875 member profiles to put your posts or your job opening in front of the most qualified candidates. You can identify with the most qualified candidates on LinkedIn Jobs and you can connect with them fast and for free. That's because LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your job qualifications all in one platform. So visit LinkedIn Jobs, post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NBA. That is linkedin.com slash locked on NBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we are now about a day away from the trade deadline. It is approaching, and of course, Locked On has you covered. So tomorrow, February 9th, tune in to Locked On NBA on the YouTube at 2 o'clock Eastern to hear the reaction from the trades that will change the rest of the NBA season, who becomes a contender, and who is tanking so we can talk about fit on the Locked On NBA Big World podcast. So subscribe to Locked On NBA on YouTube and do not miss a deal. Quick question for you. Who do you think is the biggest name that gets moved? I think it's going to be a quiet deadline. I, I Well, relatively. I think Fred Van Vliet goes. Um, I, I think he's probably the biggest name. It's going to be him or Boyan or John Collins. I think those are the big three. No OG? No, OG, I don't. I think they have way too high of a price tag. I wonder. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, Toronto's like, it was all good a year ago. But now it just seems like all the overlapping skill sets don't necessarily complement each other. And who knows what's going on there. All right, we left off at three. So we got Wimbayama. We got Scoot. You have Amon Thompson. So who do you have at number four? So I have Cam Whitmore as the number one college prospect. I was torn in my four and five are very, very close. Five is Brandon Miller. For me, Cam Whitmore, I think just, I, I feel like he has more upside to be a, primary creator at times more often I should say than Brandon Miller and to me that was the deciding factor I think if you're trying to get somebody who you know it's hard to say this name because he's really disappointed despite being a high floor guy if you're trying to get like a Jabari Smith guy the way you look at him pre-draft where you're getting somebody who I think he plays good defense he will make shots and you know in between you may get some stuff in between but like with Brandon Miller, I just don't know if you're going to get that primary creator at times where he's running the offense, whereas I see Kim Whitmore at times being able to. Uh, I think he's still got a little bit of a way to go, but that was my tiebreaker on that. And I think it's a very close draw, though, because like I said, Brandon Miller can is safe. Like I, I really do think people are overthinking it. We talked about this. You had that tweet. I don't know why it got backlash. You said nothing wrong. 
And get him. That's yeah. why I mean I think he's a top five <laughs> prospect. So I've gone away from Cam Whitmore, but those two are I think head and shoulders the two best college prospects. Yeah, and for me, Cam has. I mean, he's been disappointing to me. I, I had him at one point. I I think I had him coming into the season as my number three or at least the best freshman prospect. At this point, I don't personally think he's better than Jairus Walker. And Cam has, of course, I got to take it with a grain of salt. I know he missed time in the, the, the preseason with the thumb injury. He came in late. Villanova's not really good. But he's had, like, games against Xavier where he looked like that dude. Like, he looked like a legitimate top three pick. He's had some weird games against St. John's where he's been extremely inefficient. He's had a game against Georgetown, which has won, like, one Big East game in, like, the last 33 or 34 where he didn't dominate. And then I don't know um, – if he was injured or not, but I watched the Creighton game Saturday and it was a close game and he was nowhere to be seen. I think he only took yep. five shots and he played a significant amount of minutes. I know like against Marquette, the, the game before, I think he only played like 14 minutes. Again, I don't know if he was injured or not, but I didn't see like him making the impact on the game. I didn't see like a dog that <laughs> wants to take over and make big plays. And so that, even, again, this is just nitpicking, that concerns me. Like, if he's going to be, like, a a go-to guy, at least get up 10 shots, not five, in a big game. Yeah, I I also shared those same sentiments. Uh, I mean, over the last two games, this is heading into Tuesday, the Creighton and Marquette game, he was averaging seven points a game on nine shots. Like, that's, like, total shots. That's not okay. And... For me, I think what I was willing to forget, because that was fresh on my mind, like I made this big board Sunday night and Monday. I was like, all right, I'm going to finally sit down, reorganize it. So it was like after all of this, um, this was the day after that terrible game against Creighton. I saw it as well. But what for me won me over was that game versus Providence before we had 20 and one and nine. I felt that was a chance where we saw him be the alpha and I really saw just a nice flash. Now, the concern is, and you kind of brought this up, is just game-to-game con- consistency is horrible. I mean, you look at the game log, it tells the full story. He's not doing it every single game. And honestly, like, Villanova is not a good team this year, but his talent around him isn't that bad. Like, they should not be under 500. And Cam Whitmore should – it is a little bit alarming to me that they're not better uh, for Cam Whitmore. It might raise some flags down the road, but – you know, given the high school USA and the flashes that we've seen, all those tapes, I think I'm still willing to invest in him being the best college prospect for now. But I, I think that's not an island I'm like absolutely firm on. Yeah. And I wonder how much was the USA this summer, the plan for the USA under 18 team. I wonder how much did that sway people? I mean, he was dynamite in that tournament. But the second best team was Team USA's bench. So I feel like, I mean, it, it was literally the equivalent of putting Team USA and you, and you put them in a high school league. I mean, I think there was, I mean, honestly, I, I feel like, and there's no knock on those countries, that you can probably take Duncanville High School here in Dallas and put them in that 
I forgot the the um under eighteen America's bracket, and I think they would have came out number one. <laughs> out. That's fair. So, um, so I think that kind of put a little bit more pressure on him. I've actually kind of been lower on him since the season, and I've I've tried to like, you know, understand that he missed camp and, and so on. But it's just the inconsistency. But he's so young. He's one of the youngest, probably going to be the youngest player outside of Gigi Jackson. So um, definitely have to factor that. So we got four, Cam Whitmore, five, Brandon Miller. Who's number six? I feel like, you know, it's – you never know. Six through ten can I make mean, get really interesting. Yeah, my six through ten is an absolute wild card. So I have Keontae George at six. Um, I'll run through these just kind of quick fire on him. So six through 10, I have Keontae George. I think even though he hasn't been consistently efficient, you and I have seen him a lot. We see eye to eye on him. I think this is somebody who he will get to his spots and he's confident. He can shoot from deep. He can shoot off the dribble, spotting up. His jump shooting is so incredibly effective. And there was a play, I want to say it was against Texas, where it was at the end of the game where he wraps. I don't know how he did it. The body control was so incredible where he goes left-handed, kind of just flies past the guy, but like doesn't great. He doesn't even graze his body. Really think he could be a three level score. And honestly, I like his defense, you know, the size, who knows how effective he'll be in the NBA, but I think his defensive intensity and things like that are there. He sees the floor. Well, if you want to see any of his playmaking on high level display, watch those first uh, like five to 10 games of the season. It was incredible, I think. And then number seven is where the shakeup starts. So I have Grady Dick. And um, for me, this is somebody, something like, I will try and learn from the past. You know, Desmond Bain, he was my guy. I didn't rank him high enough, though. I still had him in the teens, and I was very wrong on that because in a redraft, he's probably the fifth best player in the draft, maybe even fourth. So he's the best shooter. I think he has the best feel from that draft. That's exact statement is said about Grady Dick. Obviously, I think there's a difference, though, where I don't see the self-creation Desmond Bain flashed. But when you're the best shooter with very minimal mistakes and you rotate well off ball. Like I think he'll be a good off ball defender on balls, an entirely different story. I think he's going to stick very well in the NBA. So like for me, I'm a big fan of him. I've kind of taken more than I wanted so we can pause and then do eight, nine, 10. All right. When we return, we'll, we'll do eight, nine and 10. I mean, I think this is going to be an interesting episode. We may have to split up into two parts, but let's talk about prize picks. And if you're wondering what prize picks is, it's basically daily fantasy made easy. All you do is pick two to six players. And if they will score more or less than their prize pick projections, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. There is no competing against other people. It is just you versus the projections available. And prize picks offers projections on any sport that you watch, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, college basketball for men, women, cricket, boxing, more. Many more. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It is that easy. It has safe and fast withdrawals, and it is currently operational in 30 states and Canada. So download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com and play daily fantasy sports. If you are a first-time user, you can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit 50, prize picks will give you 50. So do not forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for instant deposit match up to $100. All right, last segment. We've only been able to cover, what, seven prospects so far? And I, I love this draft, right? 
I, I'm loving it more every day because there are so many guys that I feel like can make it to the NBA that aren't going to get drafted. And then, I mean, that's an element of it that I enjoy, but then the element of the, you know, the lottery is, it scrambles. Like you asked me last week, my big board may be different than it is this week. Next week, it may be different. So my question to you before we get to eight, nine and 10 is how much, are you swayed by like performances? Because for for example, Grady Dick, he had a good game against who they just play, um, Texas, Texas, but he had a, a stretch where three out of four games he struggled outside of the Baylor yep. game, and it was like after the Baylor game, people were saying, "Oh, I got him at <laughs> six at seven. and then after that, I had somebody ask me in, in a mailbag episode, "Should he be?" ranked so high because he struggled against, you know, he had two or three games where he struggled. And obviously the big 12 conference is brutal. So how much of your, your big board is swayed like on performances? Yeah, it, I think it depends. But uh, for me, I'll give an example from the past that uh, I mentioned this exact guy earlier. So I'll do it again, but, but Desmond Bain, for example, he also uh, actually incredibly overlapping time to the same exact window of games uh, from ja late January to early February, where he was shooting terribly. He had 39% um, from the field, 12 points a game. And I watched each of those games, like, because I thought I was being biased about Desmond Bain covering him at TCU, going to every home game and all that. I thought, I was like, all right, let me try and see, like, his bad games, like, his worst of his worst, and, like, really microanalyze it. And I I just came out, and I was like, all right, like, he he just had – he just missed like sometimes you get to your spots and you miss especially when you're in college you're still young and inconsistent you just miss and that's what I feel like a lot of it was for Grady Dick I don't think he struggled uh just using him specifically I think in those games where they're inefficient these players and stuff like then the box score is bad doesn't always mean they were actually bad like we talk about it all the time getting to your spots Jalen Suggs I think in the NBA is a great example his stats are terrible but every single time he's getting to where he needs to be so like there's hope in that so where were you on Agbaji last year? Because that was a comparison. We A lot of people thought Agbaji was going to be the next Bane. I know I did. I wrote a whole article on it. And Agbaji was like shooting like 46, 47% for a good chunk of the year. And then he hit that cold streak, which, I mean, the Big 12 is brutal. It, it's bound to happen. Um, so do you factor... I guess, like, are you factoring how brutal the Big 12 is as far as, like, their consistency? Somewhat. I mean, what, there's, like, two teams that aren't top 60 defenses in the conference. And I think, actually, one of them is Kansas. So that definitely factors into it. I was high on Ochai because I thought I, – I just – I think the best shooter in the draft when they're so efficient and they're a smart player, like, I, I think that's what – I always rank them in the lottery. I had Ochai in the lottery. I had Corey Kispert in the lottery. Um you know, I, I will continue doing that because I really just think mistake-free guys, Oche isn't exactly mistake-free, but, you know, generally mistake-free guys who are great shooters, they stick in this league. Like, that's that's what you want. You know, we always hear shooters shooting, like it's a shooter's league and things like that. Like, there's elements to it. You got to be smart, too, about it. And, and all those guys, I think, are. Honestly, I personally don't know who's the best shooter in this draft. There's a lot of choices. I think it's Grady Dick. I mean, but I can, can be say hurt. Percentage-wise, you can say sensible. 
So speaking of sensible, <laughs> I have him eight. Okay, I, no, I think I, we, we didn't plan this. I promise you. <laughs> I think offensively, there's not a lot he can't do. I think there's polish to be had. Uh, but in terms of just skill set, I think there's minimal things he can't do, especially as a scorer, mostly actually as a scorer. Uh, defensively, I have mixed feelings because off ball, man's lost a lot. Uh, but on ball, I actually have seen him cut off drives, things like that. Like, I think he has the physical tools to be good there, but he really has to learn defense. But Sensabaugh is one of the best shooters because he's another guy, like you said, like Oche Baji at this point. I think Sensabaugh is at 47% from three. Might even yeah. be higher at this point. 47, I think. I mean, Brandon Miller, I think his degree of difficulty is a little bit higher than yep. others. I think if – and to me, like, I don't always say the best shooter – is based off of percentages because I try to factor in the degree of difficulty, which makes Steph Curry and like Kyrie so amazing because I mean, they're shooting off the catch off the dribble and they're not getting like open looks, you know, like it's like the, the naked eye can compare say, well, you know what? Duncan Robinson and Steph Curry are shooting similar percentage from three, but their degree of difficulty is. Yeah. Totally different. And so I, I factored that in with um with Ingram. And then uh not Ingram, I'm sorry, Brandon Miller. And and then, you know, the wild card is like Turquavion off the catch is just as good Dude. as any of those guys. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was actually just about to bring up Turquavion because he's another guy, he's shooting 34 point something percent from three. I would take his 34 point something percent over of several guys who are shooting 40% right now. They don't even let him. I don't think he shot within a foot of the college line more than a handful of times this year. I mean, it is a ridiculous. They play him off the line so much yeah. that his degree of difficulty, like I'm, even though the free throw percentage is low, it's a little bit scary. Like I've seen him hit those NBA threes. He's going to do it in the league. Yeah. Also curious because this kind of ties into my rankings. Um, I had this discussion with somebody. Who do you think is a better shooting prospect, Jarris Walker or Jabari Smith pre-draft? Yeah, Jabari. Saying, I, I was in the minority. Uh, it was like a group poll. I was in the minority and saying Jabari. Uh, I, I personally don't know how. Wait, I think They thought Jarris Walker is a better, like, than Jabari, not including what's <laughs> – that's weird. Like people were comparing Jabari to Kevin Durant last year. Yeah. I, I think it's a bit of a revisionist, but so I'm personally, I'll kind of jump to Jairus Walker. I know I'll get to 10 at some point, but with Jairus Walker, I, I think he's one of the hardest evals for me this year. Um, I had him personally at 15. I've seen some people have him top five. I've seen a lot of people have him top 10. I'm curious what you think his role is because for me, I put him at 15 because I think there's definitely a spot in the league for him. Like he sticks, but at what level does he stick? Like how good is he in whatever role he plays? And also what role does he end up playing? Is he an all around guy? Is he a three and D guy? I can see both of those outcomes. I don't see three and D. I mean, even though the percentages are good at 42%, I'm not buying that that is the perfect indicator of his touch. I think he's going to be league average, but I don't see him as, I mean, again, like the raw numbers that he's in the same category as, Grady Dick and these other guys as a shooter, the the attempts are significantly lower. Um, and he's only shooting like 63% from the foul line. I was high on him when I first watched his film, he popped out and then I kind of soured on him a little bit during the season. I thought like, Oh, okay, well 
you know, this is just his role. He's he's playing a role on a, a talented team that is, you know, expected to go to the Final Four. But I kept hearing from scouts, like, you have to go to Houston's practice. They're like, at practice, you're seeing the passing, the scoring, yada, yada, yada. In the last few games, he's been on a tear. You're starting to see all the stuff that I heard scouts were saying about him in practice. So it's kind of like, I mean, his confidence is up. He's figured it out. Because I went to the St. Mary's game, and he was bad. He didn't really do anything. It looked like he was struggling between trying to be aggressive, trying to figure out how to attack and get to the rim because he wasn't able to. I mean, he's obviously physically able to bully guys, but guys were a lot stronger than they were in high school. But I think he's figured it out now. I'm a big believer in the passing. I think that's something that we've only seen glimpses of. And so I think that, I mean, he goes to the right system. I actually just did a podcast before this um, talking about the Wizards. And I was like, Man, him and Porzingis and Washington together, even though they need some guard help. But, I mean, that's like a very interesting 5-4, 4-5 pick and roll because he can make plays as a passer. So I like him. I'm high on him. I'm I'm moving him up whenever I do my next board. Yeah, that's fair. I'll finish out my top 10 real fast here. So I had Gigi Jackson at 9. He's just very raw. I think the size-skill combo is worth investing in. You teach him how to play winning basketball. Let him sit for a year, you know, kind of uh, develop him, bring him on really slowly. I mean, he just turned 18 a couple months ago, if that. Yeah. Um, so I see, think he's somebody who is that. worth investing see, in. If, what's up? Sorry to cut you off. Did you see he showed his age when everybody that was tweeting about him not getting touches, he like liked all of the tweets? <laughs> so apparently uh, he didn't get touches late in the game i forgot who they played and somebody sent me a message and they were like hey i tweeted that they're not using him right he's not getting touches and he liked it i'm like okay cool and then apparently you know he went on twitter and whenever people were saying he's not getting touches i guess he liked a bunch of them and i think he even made a video (laughs) or 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 i don't know went live or something like that oh my god uh, so yeah, I mean, he showed his age there, <laughs> but oh, that's rough. <laughs> I mean, the yeah. flashes are there, man. The flashes are 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 there. I'm high on him. Like I've said it over and over again. 2024 class, nobody separated himself. He's the number one pick in 2024, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with that. If he stayed in his regular class, for those that don't know, that he reclassified up. Yeah, last one for me, Anthony Black. I got him at 10. I think he's got a be a little bit uh, more assertive and aggressive and definitely bulk up. I think those two things will go hand in hand. And I think if he does that, I think he's going to have a a big jump in his game, just getting to the rim more confidently. Um, You know, the jump shot, I think mostly looks good. It it is a little bit not unconventional. There's not, not a perfect form, I guess. Uh, And definitely needs to reduce the turnovers. I think that's been an issue since high school. going to be a little bit more raw. I think adjusting to the NBA than people realize, but six, seven guard. It's worth investing in. So I'm going to play devil's advocate on this one. He's been more aggressive than I thought he would be. Now, part of it is because, I mean, Nick Smith is not playing. Brazil was hurt. I thought that he was a guy that was going to average eight, four, and four. I I thought the team was so talented that he wouldn't have to take on a really larger role. I just thought he was going to be this connective piece that actually – has games where 
he impacts the game without scoring. I think he's been forced to score more than he probably would have liked, but I've been impressed with how he gets to the free throw line. That is something that has really caught me off guard. I mean, he's getting to the foul line at, at at a high rate. And I wonder like with better NBA spacing and with an improved jump shot, is he going to be a guy that gets to the line in the NBA four or five times a game? So I've actually been somewhat impressed with how assertive he is. Cause that was my biggest concern was it was him and Julian Phillips. I thought those were the two guys that their teammates were so good and they're unselfish. They don't necessarily have this alpha dog mentality of I'm trying to dominate by scoring. I thought those two guys would blend in on really good teams and they both kind of surprised me to that to that extent. All right, one last question before we wrap up. Who is the biggest omission on your first round? Like, who's the guy that you don't have in the first round that people are going to be shocked about and, and call you crazy? Man, uh, there's two candidates. One, I think, is um, – I actually know there's one I have uh, – somebody who I thought I was going to say was is actually at 30 – um, I think it's going to be Dylan Mitchell. I, I just, I, I don't know why he's a first round prospect. Like we saw Greg be. Brown. He should We be. saw Greg Brown do all <laughs> the same things. Honestly, Greg Brown was better. Yeah. And Dylan Mitchell, I've watched every, <laughs> this is actually a little bit outdated. It's three weeks ago. I watched every shot he had taken this year uh, as of uh, like mid January. And he had two right-handed shots at the rim. They were both dunks. He, I, I just don't know what he does on offense. He's a good defender. He's really athletic. What does he do? I, I cannot find that. He's yeah, not in my top 60, honestly. Wow. You know, I, and I respect that because I think a lot of people are following the pack. You're just watching, hey, well, other people have him in the top 10. Okay, I don't see it, but okay, I'm going to put him in the top 10. Like, if you watch it and didn't know any high school hype, you're like, okay, this guy's just a role player. Well, that wraps up this episode. Thank you for making the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. Check out the Game to Game podcast. Every moment, every performance, every result. Locked On Game to Game covers the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. So follow Game to Game on the Locked On NBA channel. It's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Once again, it's Rafael Barlow with Richard Stamen. We covered some of his big board, but I'm sure we'll be back at another point to go a little bit more in depth. And we are out.